you, Brother Dan. The title of our lesson this morning is Show the Way. Our family theme is demonstrating our faith. Our objective is to set a good example for others by rejecting false teaching and by practicing disciplines that will help us grow in our own godliness. Our text this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've got two key truths this morning. Number one is that believers stay true to the faith and practice disciplines that lead to godliness. Let me stop here for a moment. How many like disciplines? No, we don't, do we? But it's certainly good for our lives. Key truth number two, that we set a good example by putting biblical truth into practice. Now, something I learned a long time ago, and you probably know that as well by now, God didn't give us his word to amaze us. It's amazing. But God gave us his word to put into practical use every day in our lives. And that's part of our second key truth. Uh, things we should know, we're encouraged to memorize Psalm 19, verse 14, where David said, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Folks, more than anything else, we want what we say and believe to be acceptable in God's sight. That ought to be the heartbeat of our lives, pleasing God with our lives. So where does Timothy, this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, now by the way, uh, the title of our letter is Timothy, but Timothy didn't write it. Uh, it was written to Timothy by his mentor, uh, his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. So where does it fit in the scope of the Bible? Um, scholars believe that Paul wrote this around between A.D. 62 and A.D. 64, and he is certainly instructing uh, this young pastor, uh, Timothy, on how to lead the church. And At this time, Timothy was at the church of Ephesus. Now, today in our, in our text, we're going to find out that Paul says, here's what you ought to teach. Uh, you know, teach, and here's how you need to set an example for believers within the body of Christ. Okay, let's do a get started. Anybody here ever done a, uh, have you ever put together a jigsaw puzzle? Anybody, okay. Uh, how do you do that? Do what now? Okay. Okay. You go by color, okay. But what do you have to have normally in order to do that? Well, all the pieces. Come on, Cheryl. You guys are making it too difficult this morning here. Say it again. Okay, yeah. You don't throw the box away, right? Especially the lid. Now, my jigsaw puzzle at home is one we've had for years. Somebody may have given it to us. It's got four pieces to it. It's Donald Duck. And I, I lost the cover, and I can't put it together. But we know a jigsaw puzzle, and I, I, you know, I'm not a jigsaw puzzle person. I've, I've helped do a few of them. I don't have the patience. Uh, pieces are too small for me to deal with. But the fact of the matter is, you use that that box as a pattern. And again, you know, there's different ways you draw the border, and a lot of people do that, and then put the colors together. But you've always got that sitting there, and you're looking at it to see what it's going to look like, hopefully, if you ever get it finished. So that's important to have a pattern to go by. And today, if we think about what Paul is writing 
to this young preacher, uh, it matters. It's important that we have a pattern to follow. But also, it's important that we live our lives in such a way to give examples or a pattern for other people to follow us as we follow the Lord. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home to Timothy. Uh, yes, he's a young man. Yes, he's uh, intimidated. He's fearful. But Paul said, don't worry about that. Live your life in such a way that your life can be a pattern for others who want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you study the scriptures, and in fact, you'll find it not only true in Paul's epistles, you'll find it in John's epistles as well, uh, a little bit in James and a little bit in Jude. But almost all the letters that are written, uh, especially the pastoral letters of Paul, you'll find that they're dealing with false teaching. Why do you think they did that? Say it again, Dan. Amen. There was so much of it going on. Aren't you glad it doesn't happen today? Has it changed any? No, it's still going on today. And so it was common for Paul to address that issue. Uh, but today, in this chapter, we're going to find out that Paul doesn't necessarily just focus on the content of this false teaching. He, so, he focuses on the source where it is coming from. So our first key truth this morning is that believers should stay true to the faith and practice disciplines that lead to godliness. Let's read the first ten verses. First Timothy 4, please. All right, thank you, Dan. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a young minister named Timothy. But my question is, is this just ideas that Paul have come with, up with on his own? Is it just a man giving his advice? 
fact is, no, it's not. Now, oftentimes, when you're reading in the Old Testament, especially among the prophets, whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, uh, the major prophets or even the minor prophets, and it reminds you uh, they're called minor prophets, not because they are less important, but because they are shorter in length. That's the only reason. But oftentimes, you'll, as a prophet at the beginning of prophecy, uh, Isaiah didn't say, thus saith Isaiah. He said what? Thus saith the Lord. It was God speaking. And so here in First Timothy, here in chapter 4, uh, Paul begins with the expression that the Spirit had spoken expressly. So what Paul is about to teach to Timothy as he's writing this letter is certainly coming from God. This message did not originate with the Apostle Paul. It originated from heaven. And by the way, Paul also tells us in this letter that all Scripture is inspired. It is God-breathed. It means breathed out by God. So Paul lets him know, hey, what I'm about to tell you, it does come from heaven. Now, the first thing the Spirit revealed to Paul was the closer you get to the second coming, what's going to happen? To the a falling away. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, we're living a little closer to the second coming than Paul was. Wayne, do we see that today? I think we do. We see a great falling away from uh, the faith. And that's what Paul said the Spirit has revealed uh, to him. So, Paul, the Spirit of God says, look, there will be some. In fact, the closer it gets, the more it will happen. That will be departing from the faith, and they're going to be guilty of major doctrinal defection. And folks, we see it all around us, even today. And what happens is, and Paul says the reason this happens, is people begin to listen, or they give heed, if you will, to the seducing spirits and to the doctrines of devils. Now remember, there is a danger that people will be led away, individuals will be led away into the deceitfulness of false doctrine. Now, what does Satan want to happen to? What's he want to do to us? Exactly. And if it, if it means leading us away from good teaching, he'll try to do that. And that's why we've got to always be on our guard. Now, in our English Bible, we have the word uh, depart there or abandon in some translations. But it's where we get our, the Greek word is where we get our word apostasy. And it, 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 it means to a dramatic, drastic departure uh, from a position that a person once held close to. So we get our word apostasy from that. And Paul said there'll be some who will apostatize from the faith. Because they're not listening to good Bible teaching, they're listening to seducing spirits. Now, please understand, do most false teachers, do they carry a sign saying, now before I even start, I'm a false teacher? Do they do that? No, why not? That's not how Satan works. He's subtle. And again, even a lot of false teachers will mix some good things that sound good in what they are teaching. But the bottom line, Paul says, these false teachers 
are nothing more than hypocritical liars. They're not telling the truth. And by the way, that's how Satan has always worked, and he will continue to work just that way. Now, uh, what was going on here in Ephesus, and even uh, other places in the known world at that time, uh, they were trying to take uh, asceticism and combining it with Christianity. Now, asceticism uh, believed that you could reach a higher spiritual level if you denied yourself, if you didn't marry, you abstained from certain foods, whatever, okay? But I want to ask you again, something we asked the other night on Wednesday night, what can we do to make God love us more? Nothing. And folks, understand, we are complete in Jesus Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. And so, but these these false teachers were combining this idea of denying yourself of certain things with Christianity. And Paul said it's simply being hypocritical. Uh, you know, they were, uh, it's kind of like Jewish legalism. They were, they were certainly uh, teaching two false messages. Uh, they were forbidding marriage uh, with, with a notion that anybody who really wanted to be holy, who really wanted to be where God wanted, they had to live a celibate life. But Paul said that's not true. The question I would ask is, who is the one who created marriage? God did. And so since God created it, it can't be bad. That doesn't mean that marriage is for everybody. But it doesn't mean that celibacy is for everybody. And it doesn't mean what they taught, that being celibate made you more spiritual. That is not what the Bible teaches. But they also said, if you're really going to be holy... If you're going to make the grade that God wants, you have to abstain from certain foods. But Paul says, neither one are true. You don't have to stay single. Uh, you don't have to abstain from certain foods. Because the bottom line is, God has given us marriage and God has given us food. And Paul says, the key is to receive that food with thanksgiving. And the same is true with marriage. Now, it's interesting, folks. Satan has always been, and Wayne, I like what you said, out to destroy Christians. Wouldn't you agree with that? God's people. He's always been the great deceiver. When Paul wrote the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he said, he was, he said, you shouldn't be made, be amazed that there are false teachers out there. You shouldn't be amazed there are false apostles. Because Satan, who is the angel of light, he disguised himself as that, is the one who brings him about. So he's the great deceiver, and he continues to deceive today. Now, I mentioned a moment ago uh, the word depart uh, is where we get a word apostatize or apostate from. And you know, if you've been serving Christ very long, uh, there's been a great debate been going on for quite a few years uh, about uh, can one apostate, uh, commit apostasy if, if you're born again. Some say you can, some say you can't. Uh, now, as free will bad, we teach the Bible, we, we believe the Bible teaches clearly from Hebrews 6, there is a possibility, but not a probability. But if a person commits apostasy according to Hebrews 6, there is no point of return. But here's what I want you to realize. While I stand firm with that, with what I think the Bible teaches, I will not talk bad about those who disagree with me on that, because it's a second tier, uh, program of, uh, part of our faith, and folks, we still need to get along with each other. We still need to edify Christ in all that we do. And I, so whenever we uh, address that issue, I think we need to be courteous about that. 
Uh, we need to be kind-hearted about it. I'm not saying we need to change our, our what God's convict, convinced us of, but we need to be careful that we don't do things that would not please God in trying to defend what we believe of the Bible says. So Paul deals with the dangers of departing from the faith, and now he turns his attention to Timothy. Now remember, he's a pastor there. He's the one that should lead and live by example. And Paul says, here's how you need to deal with this false teaching. And he's very, very clear. And Paul says, if you're careful, and you are careful in instructing others about what is going on, Paul says, it will help you to continue to grow, and you will continue to receive uh, nourishment from the Word of God uh, as you continue to get involved in the Word of God in order to, dis- to refute these false teachers. Now, who needs nourishment from the Word of God? All of us do. Peter said that I might desire the sincere milk of the Word, that I might grow thereby. We need to desire that. But not only do we need to desire the sincere milk of the Word, in Hebrews about chapter, well, actually chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you've been on milk for too long. It's time to eat some meat. How many love meat? Huh? And he, the meat of the word. We need to move on of the bait and learn more about the word of God. So all of us need nourishment, spiritual nourishment. Now it's interesting, uh, being the great teacher Paul was, uh, he used an example to illustrate that, and that is of the, uh, of the, our physical body, and even our physical body needs nourishment if we are going to, uh, to grow in our health. And so, uh, Paul says, Timothy, consider that as an illustration. And so what Paul does, he gives Timothy, if you will, a three-part plan on how to continue to grow spiritually. First of all, Paul says what you need to do, you need to find food. You need to find spiritual food. All right, my question is, where do we find that at? Right here. Filled right here. We find it in the Word of God. And Paul says, in faith and of good or sound doctrine. So he says, find you some spiritual food. The second thing, he tells Timothy, you'll, in the church, you'll see a lot of junk food. Is that true, yes or no? Yes. Avoid that. Avoid that junk food. Now, he identifies them as silly myths or fables. Uh, a little bit different than the false doctrine of the Judaizers we talked about before. But the bottom line is they were still just as dangerous. They were false teachers, these myths. And these fables, because Paul says they absolutely have no value, and they are not any value at all for your spiritual growth. So Paul says they are untrue, and don't even entertain those silly things that are being taught by some people within 
the church. Again, uh, Paul refers to physical exercise, and uh, certainly there were probably some teaching uh, of the benefits of that. Uh, again, this with asceticism, and, and Paul is not trying to do away with physical exercise at all because there are some health benefits to that. But the bottom line is this: Paul says you have to give yourself to the kind of activities that don't just benefit you now, but benefit you when? For eternity. For time and eternity. So number one, Paul said, get some healthy food. Number two, avoid the junk food. The third thing that Paul says, you need to train yourself for godliness. I like what Paul said. Now, folks, I am thankful you come to Sunday school. You, you see the need to do that. You enjoy to do that. I appreciate that. And I think it's very important. Uh, I, have, I have been a firm believer in Sunday school since I've been saved and been a part of it through all these many years. And I love uh, being a part of a Sunday school Bible study Wednesday night. But the bottom line is this. When it comes down to our spiritual group growth, who is ultimately responsible for that? Say it again, Cheryl. We are. It is my responsibility for my growth spiritually to continue. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to train yourself for godliness. Now, it's interesting. uh, The King James uses the word exercise there. And in the Greek, I looked it up uh, this past week, and uh, it's the same word, we get our word gymnasium from. So Paul says there is really some spiritual training that needs to go on in our lives. And the word for uh, train yourself uh, in godliness, uh, th- that word is continuous in the Greek. So it has to be a continual process. So my question is this. As Christians, when do we stop training for godliness? Who said that? Never. Yeah, okay. You're black. Okay. But never. Now, now Dan and Brenda, I know you've both been saved for a long time, so you haven't stopped yet? No. There's no time to stop. There is absolutely no time to stop. It is continuous action in our lives. Now, now you can tell. My grandpa told me years ago, he said he went to his doctor one time. And he said, doctor, before you start, I want you to know two things about me. I'm going to die rested and full. You know what he's talking about? <laughs> now, and, and I kind of understand that, but we know there are certainly benefits uh, to uh, a physical regimen. But if you're like me, I don't mind dieting for a day, but if we're going to be successful, we're going to are exercising for a little while. It's going to be continuing in our lives, and the same is true with spiritual exercise. Now it's interesting. Uh, Paul goes on in verse eight to talk a bit more about that in the physical body, and he says, you know, it, it has some benefits. There's no doubt about that, and we know that it does. Uh, but Paul says uh, the spiritual training, the uh, the spiritual exercise. Uh, that we need 
is far more beneficial because it not only benefits us now as we exercise spiritually, it will benefit us for eternity. So Paul said that's why that is important to our lives. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, if you're like me, we don't like to talk about discipline. We know that God disciplines his children. He disciplines us. We know that if we are going to exercise spiritually like we need to, we're going to have a, we're going to discipline ourselves to stay into the word of God, to spend time in prayer, to spend time meditating upon the truths of God, all these things in our life. And sometimes those things are not so easy for us to want to do. But the bottom line is this. They're always going to bring a benefit to our lives. So verse 9, Paul says, this is a faithful saying. Exercising for God will always bring benefits to our lives. And so the key here is, folks, is that we need to continually strive for godliness. And Paul gives a reason for that in verse 10. He says, because we trust in the God who is going to save not only us, but everyone who puts their trust in him. Folks, understand the benefits of exercising spiritually. So it doesn't matter what the struggles are. It doesn't matter what the challenge might be as we try to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said no matter what it takes to grow spiritually, Paul said, you can write it down, it is going to be worth everything that you do. Don't give up. And the reason is, our hope is not set, set upon ourselves. It is set upon the living God. Folks, we win. Somebody say amen. Yes, we do. Uh, let's apply it. So the key here is hold very tightly to biblical truth and practice disciplines and habits that help you grow. Now, I want to ask a question regarding our application. Why is it important, especially in the day we live in, that we hold on to biblical truth? Say it one more time. Absolutely. Now, not only that, and that's a big part of it, the majority of the world tells us what about the Bible? Not true. It's outdated. It's not contemporary. And we're being bombarded that here's the truth now. No, that's not. Folks, we've got to hold to the Word of God. doesn't matter what the world may say. Doesn't matter what the Supreme Court votes in or votes out. God's word is true and we've got to hold to the truth of God's word. So how can we do that? How can we do that? Apply it to our lives, yes. What should have the final authority in our lives? The Bible. God's truth. It ought to be the Final authority in our lives. We need to take God's word and hide it in our heart. The psalmist said that so we don't sin against him. It has to be a vital part of our lives. So, number one, we stay true to our faith. 
and practice disciplines that lead to godliness. Second key point. We need to set a good example by putting biblical truth into practice. Somebody read verse 11 through 16, please. Thank you, Alan. Uh, notice, if you will, Alan, would you read verse 11 again, please? Okay. These things command and teach. Now remember, who's writing this letter? Paul. Did he have any authority? You know he did. He had the authority of an apostle. And I think you know by now that whenever anyone teaches and preaches the truth of the Word of God, it can be very unpopular. There will be people who will say you're a bigot, that you have no compassion, all kind of things. And there's something you need to understand in... Environments like that, it's not always easy to preach the truth. And Timothy was in that kind of environment. So according to verse 11, what did Paul command him to do? Teach those things anyway. Teach those things anyway. I think it's important to understand that God uses all types of people. Have you ever noticed that? I forget uh, who said it first. I'm not sure who to give the quote to, but it wasn't me. But someone once said that God is not looking for perfect performers, just willing participants. I think that's good advice. Because my question is, if God was looking for perfect performers, how many would he have? None. None. I was listening to some preachers just the other day. And I don't remember where he was at, uh, but at the end of his sermon, people began to stand up and applaud. And he called their hand. He said, something you didn't know. What I just did was not a performance. It was not a performance. And folks, we are here to teach God's Word. And Paul says, Timothy, in spite of what's going on, in spite of not being well-liked, I command you to teach these things. And I mentioned to you that God does use all kinds of people. And most people, our scholars, believe that Timothy was a little bit timid. Uh, Probably not very assertive in his personality. Sometimes a little bit of afraid. And... uh, 
made it difficult for Timothy. And especially as he's trying to address those within the church that were teaching this false doctrine. And so Paul says, look, Timothy, I know how tough it is. But I don't care what they say about you. I don't care how young you are. You're to do what? You're to teach these things. Don't back down, Timothy. Don't, don't shirk your responsibility. Teach these things. Now, there's no doubt that, uh, Paul is certainly including the things in this letter, but one writer said he's probably ambiguous enough to include all teaching that comes from God, comes from Paul. So Paul says, now look, whatever you do, don't be afraid, don't be, a, be timid, but teach these things. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Many believe that Timothy a little bit timid, fearful at times. Uh, when Paul wrote the church of Corinth, he said, when Tim- Timothy comes, that whatever you do, don't intimidate him, implying he's easily intimidated. Uh, in Second Timothy, uh, he also uh, tells them that he has concerns and uh, tells Timothy he has concerns in prayer uh, and prayers for him uh, because uh, the spirit of fear that he had, he said, didn't come from God. It simply doesn't come from God. So Paul had some concerns. But he said, Timothy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are called, according to verse 12, to set an example of other people in the church on how to live a Christian life. Now, my opinion, and this is only my opinion, and I, I believe that God has called me to preach and called me to teach, but I think my highest calling is to set an example before other believers on how to live for God. I believe a preacher has a high calling. I, I'm convinced that, uh, and, and by the way, folks, I am far from perfect, so don't, don't you go home, start bragging on me, you brag on Jesus. But I, I concern myself every day, and I ask God for strength to keep things out of my life that would bring a hindrance to my testimony, uh, especially to my church, to my family, because, you know, I, I realize, and, 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 and whatever reason God has blessed me through the years, I've got people in the, in the state of Ohio, all over the state, who know who I am. And I'm not, I mean, I'm bragging, but they're counting on me to be who I am. I've served, I'm serving again on the home mission board. They're counting on me to be who I say that I am. And folks, I believe that God's men ought to be that way. And he says, Timothy, I want you to set the example. I want you to show the church how to live this Christian life. Now, it's interesting, uh, and again, we don't know for sure, but a lot of uh, theologians believe that Timothy was probably in his mid-30s at this time. Now, we don't know for sure that. Now, one thing we do know uh, in Jewish culture, you really didn't uh, enter public ministry until at least 30 years of, of age, and it doesn't mean you couldn't before, but you didn't get much respect. But even if Timothy was in his mid-30s, uh, there would have been a lot uh, of older men in the congregation, elders, if you will, and uh, and usually they were the ones who would get their respect. Now, again, let me remind you, there were some false teachers in Ephesus. They weren't all false teachers, okay? So there were some elders there 
that may have looked down upon Timothy, not because he was not living a good life, but simply because of his age. And so the older you were, uh, the higher you were regarded, and the higher you were esteemed. Uh, so again, Timothy had uh, to face that. Now, so he says, here's what I want you to do. You don't need to fight against it. That's going to be that way. You can't change that. You can't change the fact that there are false teachers in the church. Now, you need to preach against that. And you can't change the fact there might be some older people there who maybe look down only because of your age. That's going to happen, Timothy. But Paul says, don't let it be a handicap to you. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't let anyone look down upon you or kind of push you aside because you're, in their eyes, you are simply too young. So Paul says, rather than fight against this, set a good example on how you live, on how you conduct yourselves. Be a pattern for other people to follow, no matter what their age might be. And that word, the Greek word for example, means something that leaves an imprint, if you will, uh, or something that's formed by an impression. And so Paul says, Timothy, in order to leave a godly impression, in order to influence those who think you're too young, you need to practice godliness. And Paul gives five areas. He talks about his speech. He talks about Timothy's conduct, in his love, in his faith, and in his purity. Paul says you don't need to argue with him. You don't need to wrestle the issue with him. Simply live a life above reproach. Show them that God has touched your life and you are God's man for the hour. (laughs) Now, again, right words. Right actions, inward qualities, and by the way, they should be part of every believer, but especially of those who minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, keep in mind, it's important, folks, that all of us lead godly lives, but especially for the one that God has called into ministries. Now, keep in mind, these things that Paul told Timothy to practice, he meant to do it in the context of the church. In the context of the church. First thing Paul said to Timothy, I want you to give attention to public reading. Now, think about that. Now, it's interesting if you study the New Testament, you'll know that uh, one of the customs of the synagogue was to have someone read from the scriptures. Luke tells of the time when Christ was in the synagogue, and somebody asked him to read from the scriptures. And of course, he turned to Isaiah 61, and he read it, and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So it was common to read scriptures, a very important part of worship. And so Paul says, Timothy, I want you to continue that practice. 
Make sure you have public reading in the church. But not only that, I want to give attention to preaching or exhortation. They don't miss that. And that includes not only the exposition of scriptures, but the application of it. Dan, you mentioned a while ago about applying God's word to our life. There needs to be an application of the word of God. So Paul says, Timothy, I want you to do this in public reading in the church. I want you to make sure you do that. I want you to give attention to preaching. But the third thing he says, I want you to give attention to the teaching and the passing on of Christian doctrine. Three things that are important. Public reading, preaching, and teaching. Now remember, what's the context of this? In the church. Now, by the way, you know how thrilled I am you're here this morning. Because I realize I'm not the best teacher there is around. I understand that. But I think you've come to hear the Word of God. And most of you will stay uh, to hear me preach. And I appreciate that as well. You, you want to hear the Word of God. And Paul said, Timothy, when you go to church, I want you to practice reading the Scriptures publicly, preaching the Word of God, and teaching the doctrine of the Gospel. Three things. What's missing here? Okay, but what do most people in our world today want? Say it again. Entertainment. Cheryl Platt. But it's true. Now, most people want to be entertained. And the problem is when they, they go somewhere they find good entertainment, before long that becomes boring. And what do they do? They move somewhere else. Look for more entertainment. Paul said, focus on these things. So Paul says, look, you have got to give continual attention in your effectiveness by cultivating continually your spiritual gifts. And it refers to the laying on of hands that they did uh, that was a sign of continuity of leadership. And this presbytery had uh, laid their hands, his body belt, on Timothy, and they bestowed that privilege of leading that congregation there at Ephesus. And Paul says, don't be afraid, and don't let anybody intimidate you. Now, here's what you need to understand. If God has placed you somewhere, you're where God wants you. And that, I know that sounds kind of simple. I, 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 I mentioned it with Brother Jerry this past weekend at the graveside service. And uh, if, he, if he told me before, I don't remember him telling me this, but he said to the people there as, as he introduced me to speak, he said, you know, I remember the first Sunday I went to Ambassador Church and... Uh, he said, I listened as, as Brother Rollin taught Sunday school. And he said, I thought to myself, what am I doing here? 
I mean, these people don't need me. They've already got a man to lead them. He never told me that before. But I do remember what he, what he did ask me at, at dinner that day. He said, why aren't you passing that church? At the, this has been over 30 years ago. I said, because God hasn't called me yet. He never asked me again. Because, folks, I want to tell you, it's got to be where God places you. And Paul says, Timothy, I don't care how much they intimidate you or how much you feel intimidated. You're God's man for the hour. So don't be afraid. So exercise your spiritual gift, Timothy. You're exactly where God wants you. So you and I, when we, we are faithful to live for Christ. And folks, understand that's for the long haul. Being consistent in our walk with God. And, and Paul says, if you'll do that, as you continue to be consistent in your walk with God, in your faith, Paul said, you're going to save yourself and you're going to save others, those who hear you preach and teach the Word of God. And Paul was referring to their spiritual health. Timothy, you're going to save them by teaching the Word of God. His commitment to the truth of God's Word, his commitment to genuine spiritual practices in his own life would bring about a spiritual well-being to all the believers there at the church at Ephesus. And Paul says, Timothy, don't be afraid. Now, i got to tell you, folks, sometimes I feel intimidated. I, I know there are better preachers out there than I am, a lot more than I am. But I do believe I'm where God wants me. And that makes all the difference in the world. And I want to honor that call. Let's apply it, okay? We need to set an example. By putting God's word into practice, we set an example by using our gifts and our abilities, not only to serve God, but also to serve other people. Is that the first bell or the last bell? Did you ring the first bell? Any bells hear it? Did anybody else hear that first bell? Let's stand. I'll get you later, Alan. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that first bell. Folks, aren't you glad that God uses where we are? Let's set that example. Father, we thank you for your word. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Next week, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Thank you for coming.